Hello and welcome to episode 16 of this bonus series in conjunction with Tipperary Midwest Radio. In this episode, Stevie O'Donnell and her own Francis Cotlin look back on Golden Kilfeagle's County Intermediate Football title from 1982. This is the West Awake podcast, West Tip Matters. The West's Awake, the West's Awake. Another goal! And it's Eugene O'Neill has got it! Is by Johnny Ryan. He's one of the two Johnnies playing at midfield today. We're very precise, and Brian Fox with Tipperary's first. It really was a golden year, reeling in the years of 1982. West End County Intermediate Football Champions were Golden Kilfeagle. We're going to say a very good morning to Francis Cockland from the West Board. Francis, good morning to you. Morning to you, Stevie. At the Jordan Convention, Galtier Rovers and Latin Column were granted permission to regrade from Intermediate to Junior Hurling for 1982. And this left the mere three teams to contest the Intermediate grade. The situation became even more unsatisfactory when one of the teams, Rose Green, withdrew with even the championship hanging in a single game between Golden Kilfeagle and Salahed. The match was played at Dundrum on September the 12th, where Golden Kilfeagle regained the title by 2.13 to 2.7. Golden Kilfeagle led by three points at the break, seven points to four. But both from Pat Ryan and Michael Ryan early in the second half sped them on their way to a comfortable win. In the county semi-final, Golden Kilfeagle had used to win over Feather 1.10 to 2.5. But it seemed out of their depth in the county decider, losing to Barca Kane by 3.17 to 1.5. The Intermediate Football Championship featured six teams in the league, drawn for the first rounds as follows. Multine Rovers versus Aherlow, Gondekilfeekel versus Emily, and Nakavilla Dunasee Kickens versus Rockwell Rovers. Multine Rovers withdrew after a few games, and eventually Gondekilfeekel and Emily qualified for the decider. Gondekilfeekel needed a replay to defeat Aherlow in the playoff for a place in the final. The decider was played at Dundrum on October the 3rd in atrocious conditions. Golden Kafika led four points to two at half time, having played with the elements. However, a John Neamey pint and an Owen Ryan goal early in the second half copper fastened their position, and from there they held firm for a deserved 1 5 to 3 points win. It was a hurling football double in the intermediate grade for Golden. For the county semi final, Golden Kafika travelled to Feather after a tough game, they came out on top against Carrick Swans 2 4 to 7 points. The final saw them visit Borlaan for a clash with Boris Sakay and their hurling conquerors. It was a bitterly cold mid-November day and Golden Kafika seemed to be in some difficulty when they trailed at half-time by two points, having played with the wind. However, goals from Moan Ryan and Tom O'Donnell in the early minutes of the second half paved the way for an historic Golden Kafika win and a score of 3-5 to 1-5. After the county junior win of 1979, football was really on the upswing in Golden. And during the week, I caught up with some of the lads involved. Centre-back Jim O'Connell. Centre-forward Liam O'Sullivan. Left-half-forward PJ Collins. But I first spoke to the club's longest-serving secretary, John Corvin. And as I put it to him, 1982 was a great year for Golden Kilfeagle, having won the West and County Intermediate Football Championship, along with the West Intermediate Hurling Championship. That's right, Stevie. Yeah, we beat Solihead in the final of it. And um, we're down to qualify for the county final, where we were well beaten by Boris Cain. Then we came on a few weeks later to play in the football, and again Boris Cain were our opponents in that. And I suppose it was kind of sweet revenge that we were able to turn the tables on him that day. 
But after losing the Holland final, was it hard to get the boys going again? Nearly the same panel of players you were looking at. Yeah, it was basically the same panel of players. A small club, you'd have crossovers in a big way. So they were up, they wanted to get revenge, they wanted to get back and win something. The fact that it came up so quick after the hurling probably helped. Looking at the West Final, it was 1-5 to 3 points over in the very low scoring. That's right, yeah, and at half-time in that game it didn't look good for us because we were only 3 points to 2 I think up at that stage after playing with the wind and then in the second half we got the goal and that was the crucial score in it and held out to win it. 2-4-7 points against Carrick Swans in the county semi-final. That's correct, yeah, and again our half-time position didn't look good in that game but I suppose that game is remembered famously for maybe other reasons. And in fairness, after the little schmazzle, the team played very well. And I think it was John Ryan got the crucial goal for us that day. And we held on and won out by the narrow margin. After that kind of a schmazzle, did it kind of gel you all together then going into the final? It did, yeah. The final lifted everyone and it got the people in the parish going. It got everyone out and there was great talk and everyone was looking forward to the final tight game again and just we got the vital scores again in the second half. But they say goals win matches, you score 3-5 three, three to 1-5. That's correct, yeah. That day again, Tom O'Donnell kicked, I don't know whether he was going for a goal, he'd mm. always say he was anyway, but it deceived the goalkeeper and it was the vital score that day, that won the day for us. Lima Sullivan lined out at centre forward that day. That was tough and close, like uh, I think at half time we didn't seem to be in a good position, like, but then after half-time, I don't know whether they were slow coming out onto the field or whatever, but we stole a goal before they were fully settled, like, you know, and that kind of got us really back into it. And then we got a second goal, so that put us kind of in the driver's seat. And as I then put it to PJ Collins, early goals were crucial, and that's what Golden Kilfiekel got in the second half. Yeah, and that goal that Dean was talking about, only Ryan caught one in the middle of the field and he gave it to me, actually, and I was unmarked, maybe on 40 yards out. I can remember it's only yesterday because... As I was so near with the ball, a couple of the mentors on the side were roaring at me to kick it over the bar. But I knew we had an extra man, and only Ryan was a great man coming through the middle. Liam used to make great runs from the centre, pull the centre back out of the position. And I knew only was coming, so I carried the 21 or so and give it to only, and he stuck in the bottom of the net. So it was a vital goal, and it was a bit of luck that we were, you know, we read the situation and knew that we had an extra man coming through. What was it like against your defence? Because normally Boris and are very tenacious in defence. Oh yeah, they were very good and of course they had a great player, Ian Conway, like he was all over the place, like you know, a terrific athlete. And county experience? Oh yes, yes, and uh, he was really an aggressive type of player. Like. You're talking about Owen Ryan, did he not score two goals that day? Oh I did, Owen had a great game that day, he scored two goals. He was a great man to come through the middle, like. I think the second goal we did a 1-2 with him, should give it back to Owen, like, and he had the speed and the uh, athleticism to keep going and he was a good footballer as well, like, you know, and he was accurate. Like, we had only a couple of accurate forwards, PJ and himself, like, you know, the rest of us are kind of making up the numbers. <laughs> keep the ball to them, like, and let them score, like. I wonder what was it like playing in defence? Jim O'Connell, you would have been playing centre-back. Yeah, I used to work with Michael Donner a bit in and out. But uh, I suppose our inspiration was Liam Welch. He always kind of kept us together and you wouldn't get injured, like, in the back line. What was it like playing against some very, very nippy forwards from Borussia You had to be on your toes that day. You didn't want to lose a second county final. Well, that is true. Like We were under pressure, like, in the first half in particular. They were running at us. But again, as I say, we had a fairly good defence. We were used to playing with one another, so we knew what was going on. John Cooney like, was very fast, very pacey. Seamus Corvin and Jimmy Wade, 
very tight markers. Our main job was to keep the scores down. And I suppose to really the game planned in as well as cut well, out the freeze. Well, that was the thing, that was the thing, get to the pitch of the ball first. But as I said, Lee Welch was a driving force at the back, like otherwise for us. Describe what it was like for you to win the county straight after the referee blew that final whistle. Well, we just couldn't believe it at first, that we were after the after doing it, like, you know. But uh, it was a great honour, like, and half the parish was at the match over in Boland that day, and sure even Jimmy Donnell went to the pub that night. I'm sure he had a great night. He had a great night, he had. We all had. PJ, talk to me about your captain inside at full-back. Yeah, Liam Welch was the captain and you're talking about trainers and coaches nowadays. He was the man. So when he won selector at the time, which was Jimmy O'Donnell, Liam Welch did all the train wheels and I think we were one of the fittest teams probably around that period. We were very fit. A lot of it has stemmed actually from 79 when we had Ty Rafferty. I think to be wrong if we didn't mention Ty Rafferty here. Ty came into the club in 79 and made big changes. As he said himself, he knew nothing about football, but he got us playing as a team. He knew a lot about discipline. And we continued that type of training under Dean Welch in 82. And another thing back at that time, if you can remember Stevie, you'd be talking about now after the match, that time before the game, half the parish had been inside the dressing room, I remember, wishing us well and all this kind of stuff. But Ty Rafferty stopped all that in 79 80. And how did you as players react to that? We were delighted. And as you remember, the dressing rooms were small. But fellas were coming up, of course they were wishing you well. But I remember when Ty stopped at the first match, we had to put a secretary at the time, I think, at the door to stop people coming in. It was only the selectors allowed in. No, it was hard to concentrate as well. And I suppose we all react different before matches. Liam? Oh yeah, there was great excitement in dress clubs then of course, but then Tyke was the man that, he was a great man for our team talk and motivated team, like, you know, get him pulling together. Talking about motivation, how did he motivate you before the ball was even thrown in? Everybody knew what they had to do, like, you motivated yourself most of the time then, because we were fierce competitive lot, like, we hadn't won an awful lot, so we had a chance of winning something, so we really got stuck in and put our shoulders to the wheel, like, and the match was a great man too, to motivate fellas, like, you know, he'd hold things at the back, and he knew the players as well, he knew what you were capable of doing, like, and he put it sure that you had to do it, like, you know, there was no such thing you were capable of doing it, so... That was it, we did it for him. Jim, talking about motivation, losing the Holland final, was that motivation on its own to go out and win the football? It was. Lads were down that night, but they saw another chance to come back at it and win the county final that year. They trained hard. We had a plan. There was a man to watch the break, back and front. Miss Sully was our Tony Hannahoe. He would open the middle, kick the centre back out of the middle, or like to go on Ryan to get the scores. We always had PJ Collins here, he was always the one to make a run. Were you very confident going into the final? We were confident, we were not overconfident. The administrators kind of believed that we could win it. It was all down to self-belief, wasn't it? Self-belief, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he instilled that into us. We won games probably because of what he said, that we mightn't have deserved to win even. Emily beat us now in the first round, but we came back and beat him in the final. The playoff, I'd say, was the first game we won. We won three or four matches that year. Over to John Corrigan again. I just remember Liam Welsh said one thing he'd always tell you that we stopped the opposition from scoring and all we knew to do then is yeah. score one more than them and we have the match won. And Liam talked to me about facilities back then. As PJ said earlier, the dress rooms were small, half the parish came in wishing you well, so you didn't have the privacy that you wanted. No, but I suppose our panel was small and it was tight, like, you know, we didn't need a lot of space, you know what I mean? We didn't have a 30-man panel or whatever, like, things were different then, like, you know, but as the fellow says, we didn't know any better, like, we thought we were okay, like. But interestingly enough, as PJ said earlier, you'd only maybe one selector with the team coach, a very small management team compared to notice. 
Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, that time I suppose fellows were fierce interested in what they were doing. Like we you know, we were playing intermediate, like so. And we knew that that was it. Like and we knew we were up to it. We had one tight games, like and of course the Welsh was the man, like he'd always instill in the backs, like you know we're only capable of scoring next amount. So if we can't see more than that, we're beaten. Like it's a simple game, and is that like it was a team effort. Like as John said, we had some great pacey men, like John Coney, Jimmy himself, like a great men to come forward from the backs, lay off the ball to the forwards, like they could cover the ground as such. Like. Yeah, I think talking about Dean Welch's strategy of a team, it was from goalie, they could kick the ball out long to the midfielder. And he either kicked it down top of the midfielder if he wanted it, or if he wanted to his side, he was able to do that. So I remember playing with some midfielders that liked the ball maybe five yards to the right, they'd run it. Only right, like the ball down, he could jump up and maybe. I think from one to nine, we were very strong that time. And we had experience because We'd won a county June in '79, and we'd won a senior with Rockwell in '80. So there was seven or eight of us on that team as well. So there was a lot of experience in football around in a couple of years. And I know from afar, being mapped by some of these lads and trainers, it's like said Jim and Michael Donald and John Coney. The three of them, we could home with marks in you, and it was played like a match. Now we played always, I suppose, a half an hour of extra powers. But we also did all the other physical training, we're talking about strength and conditioning now. But we did it, press ups and jump ups and carrying a fellow your own weight, sprinting half into the feet, all that type of stuff. So we were doing that in a different manner, like. But these boys played like a match. You're talking about game plans now. John Coney was very fast. John would carry the ball up the field, but when he'd get up to maybe the torture to he'd throw someone. John wouldn't take a shot at the goal. But Liam Welch had a plan that only Ryan would step back and cover that, that space. He always wants his back protected because it might take John a bit of while to get back like, you know. He wouldn't be going back as fast as he came up with, let's say. So there was always a team plan there, like that. Did you ever suffer any major injuries? Well, for Jim did later on, I suppose. But uh, we had a physio in Rogan Kiley, I suppose, was the physio we all went down to in Banch, but we never had a physio to match or anything like that, like them times. Jim, have you ever seen that you picked up a nasty injury? Well, that was in 86. I broke my leg. Can you recall it? Well, I can't have since I had to play against Banshaw in the West semi final. She just before I got married. <laughs> was she at the match? Oh, she was at the match, yeah, yeah. You hopped your way down the I aisle? I hopped my way down the aisle, I did. And she's still with me today. Peter, we're talking about the county final, but what about previous to that? What had really built up the team for that year was our semi final and, of course, the three games against Arlo. They built great momentum. Also, I got the people in the parish behind us. And the day over in Feathered that we played Cadillac and Shore. Like Calico were a very strong team, good team. They had a lot of wides, I think, that day against us. And about 10 minutes ago, this row broke out and it descended the hole into the field as was. Talk to me about the row. Well, look, <laughs> it's over and done and now it's was to save. The whole field anyway was full of people involved. It was John Lockland say handbag stuff as was. <laughs> we had women with umbrellas and we had the fellas, I remember seeing one fellow who walked and stick inside in the middle of the field. But anyway, I think credit would have to go to the referee, Spike Noel and Lord of Mercy. He cleared the field and finished the game. We had the upper hand at the time. I felt if we had to go back and play Carrick, we mightn't have beaten them. They were a very, very good team. Maybe a good thing after that then, maybe it'd be interesting with county boards and discipline. Of course, there was no videos them times. Two clubs were called into the county board following Monday night. And they met beforehand. I think the meeting was at Hayes Hotel. They met downstairs and they decided, well, should we go up and we'll talk away? We had to go and play a final, of course. But Carrick backed us. And went up and said, look, it was all misunderstanding. And it said the county board. Misunderstanding, but good sportsmanship. Oh, great sportsmanship. And that's what Cali would be, would be great sportsmanship. How was played in the field was left in the field, I suppose. John, that's very important. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I suppose PJ mentioned it there. You'd have to give great credit to Spike Nolan. He said that day he'd finished the match and I don't think he had anything in his report even that there was something small that contributed. And then, as PJ said, the clubs got together 
we basically went in and they couldn't remember what happened and it was a small fine that he put on both clubs and fairness to Spike, he really helped the whole situation yeah. He used to always use common sense. Definitely. You know on that day when that row broke out, I don't think anyone got sent off. How many of a panel would you have had? We were panel 19, Steve. That's small? Very small, yeah. yeah. That was it, like there was no extras or no one to bring on. But a united panel? Oh, very united panel, yeah. PJ, some of those unfortunately have now passed on to the eternal reward. That's right, Steve. The two players was our captain. We spoke to him all night, Liam Welch, and our foot forward, John Ryan. They would be the two players that passed on. Also, there was Jimmy O'Donnell, our selector, of course, but there was two other men that spent a lot of time with us, Jerry and Marty O'Connor. And I can still remember the final whistle that they over, seeing these guys, and a tear in their eye. It didn't mean a lot to us when we were young, that's after winning. But it meant but a lot to them. It did, and they had been soldiered on for the club, because remember, it was only our second Edwards competition the club had won. So it meant a lot to a lot of people in the parishes. And Liam, it is only when you think back now, you say to yourself, geez, that was a great day. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, that time, big celebrations like after the, the cup would be filled numerous times like so. They were great memories to have like particularly with such a small panel. We had a good time and we enjoyed it and we enjoyed the training and it was great fun in the training too like you know it wasn't overly serious. It could be serious when to be backs and forwards in a match and to be probably a few eagles and that but uh, fellas enjoyed coming to training and enjoyed the training as well as the matches like you know it was a social outlet like Jim O'Connell, did you enjoy the training? Oh, definitely, yes. We used to look forward to it every night. You're saying that with a smile. <laughs> well, it was great to be hopping up them forwards there. Stop and coming through. <laughs> did he mark you with him? Oh, several times, yeah, yeah. What yeah. was he like? Oh, I'm fucking pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, that tells me he was as tight. Oh, as tight as they come, yeah. <laughs> he'd, he'd live inside your tongue, as I used to say to him at the time, you know. But not an inch, no, not an inch. And of course, it was, it was great training, really, because when you went out playing at that position, that's what they were doing to you. So, at that time, I suppose, you were saying the scores were low. We wouldn't get many frees. There weren't as many frees nowadays either. as another factor, I suppose, back that time. You earned your free, I suppose. <laughs> Let's get Jim's reaction to that. Well, at that time, I suppose, you could stop men straight and straight into you. Was in what way? Frontal charge was allowed that time. That was one of the things that happened in the county semi-finals against Carrick. There was a lead centre field from Carrick's soul one through. And Liam Welsh came out to me after the first time. He says, the next time that bloody bugger is coming through, make sure he goes to your left-hand side. So I duly did it. I was told that your men carry your that time. As I was looking back around, the man was passing me back out. And what happened? Well, that stopped the running through the middle. <laughs> that finished it. And we won the game afterwards, so. Another thing after our training sessions, our matches even, we used to go down to Liam Sullivan's father there for ice cream. It could be 10 or 11 o'clock in the night. Bill Sullivan would have the ice cream for us. That was better than going to the pub. Yeah, Bill Sullivan would stay open. We were all coming down from the field. And then sure you would all meet up inside in the shop. Conversation went on. And Would you be an awful lot happier doing that rather than going to the pub? Well, I suppose we were, but we didn't have much money to go to the pub, I suppose, back then either. But you had the money so for the ice cream? We had money for the ice cream, yes. But now, in fairness, Bill was generous with his portions. Oh, How did you travel to training? Did you walk, oh, cycle? We walked, walked, yeah. About two and a half miles in and out. John, did Halley walk two and a half miles today? Oh, God, no, definitely not, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't. I can remember what Jim was saying there, and you'd see him all below after the training, you know, and they having their ice cream and having a great chat, and then they'd break up all, walk home in the dark. How times have changed, Liam? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, training then you'd start, but I mean, it wasn't confined to a, an hour, it could last two hours or depending on what would be going on that night, like, you know. 
and fellas, as we said, enjoyed that kind of training. Like you played a lot of football, and then you did a bit of physical as well. Like a lot of physical was done on the ball. Like it was all match situation, like which prepared you like for the game. John, how did you manage back then? Did you many sets of jerseys, etc.? No, you'd only have the one, Steve. You know what I mean? I can remember taking home jerseys uh, straight after a match on a Saturday evening, and you'd have to have, try and have them dried and ready again for Sunday because you only had one set of jerseys and that set of jerseys had to be used for every team. Back then the jerseys weren't the nice nylon light ones you have now, <laughs> they were the big woolly ones. And... PJ, talk to me about when you were back in training. How did you manage with no floodlights? Yeah, we had no lights, we'd run in the dark. And then later on, the years you're talking about 1798, we were very lucky that Cash and Rugby Club helped us out. It was very good at the time now because we probably wouldn't have heard of it, kind of, I suppose, typographically had something to do with it. So. And they were great. They used to turn on the lights early for us. We used to train actually before they used to play the rugby. And we'd be gone out with it. That was great in time. It was new for us to be driving in training the lights. It brought everyone into training. And the likes of Liam Sullivan used to train with us and didn't train for the rugby with the casual bikes. Sometimes then we'd say I'm a tourist deal and that time was a training night choose and tourist uh, there might be a match in the field and we'd have to leave and we used to go up to Dick Williams' field up the road. It's a kind of a giant in the field as such, but we got permission from Dick, but we wouldn't give up a night's training. John, that's serious commitment. Huge deal, no doubt. You know it is if there was a game on the field, fellas won't train anywhere else, they'd wait till the match is over. But then we have lights now, which we didn't have back then. But the lads know they went out into Dick's field and trained away. Back to Jim O'Connell again for a comment on this. In the night time we had care lights, many of us didn't have cares back then. But there might be one in the corner of the field just to show you the route. We did actually have to run around the field in which the stickler for doing these laps of the field. He always led the way, so we had to follow. PJ, did you get a meal after the county final? We did, Jeff, yeah, it was the only time. And again, this was thanks to the county board at the time. They paid for the meal. And in fairness, and there would be more than, we depend on 19, but um, there was a lot more than 19 fed that day. And I think the county board did look after it. So. Another lovely gesture way back then. It was at the time, because again, it was new to us. 40, 50 maybe sat down for the meal. John Colvin, you're now 35 years secretary of the club. Congratulations. Right, Stevie, thanks. <laughs> I suppose I look back now and you wonder where 35 years went. When I came in, I only came in for three years and then it went on for another few and the rest of them are just after flying by. Compare facilities 1982 to now. Ah, yeah, sure, there's a huge improvement. Back then, we didn't even have the showers in 82. I, I think it was later, it was about 88 or 90 or something that the showers came. They were fairly basic back then as well. Turn to now, fellas, before they go out on the field now, you have to make sure that the showers are hot and they're warm and everything, you know. And it's for the good too, you know. And the proper toilet facilities for players and for supporters and for everybody. Looking at your facilities here, it's a fantastic pavilion. You have great committee members from the bingo to the lotto. It's a pleasure now to have such a fantastic place. I suppose you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Steve. It was a whole community effort. It probably kicked off the early 2000s and the parish hall at the time was condemned and a committee came together and they were going to rebuild the hall beside the church. But they ran into a few problems with planning and that and Liam actually was chairman of the club at the time and the groups came together and the community came in behind us here. We were going to improve our own dressing rooms at the time and everyone worked together and we end up with what we have now. Everybody helped, everybody supported it. And it's back to PJ Collins again. Yeah, I'd just like to have all of us here to congratulate John being the secretary for 35 years and I know I worked with him for four years 
and I have no problem in saying we have one of the best secretaries in Ireland. He gives 24-7 to the job and I suppose we'd have to mention he has one great wife that she puts up with him and I can see his son coming along and I think someday he'll take over from John. And Liam O'Sullivan now explains they have a fantastic walkway right around the field. People really appreciate it, like even me in the shop, people will be coming around saying, yeah, there's plenty of yours, give it to John, like, for walking, like, you know. They really appreciate the facility here, you know. We were talking a little bit earlier about going down to the shop for the ice creams. Well, I'm sure that there's going to be many more going down to the shop for more ice cream. Hopefully they'll keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have it, like, you know, because a lot of country shops are nearly gone, like. At the moment now we're doing a revamp and doing it up again and we're getting great local support. PJ, in relation to the grounds, it's very important to have somebody out there at all times. Well, it is, Stephen. We've been lucky over the years that we've had some very good men here. One of our dressing is Pat Griffin. Pat spent a good few years here and in the hall as well. Pat was known by everybody, I think. He was nearly meet you and greet you at Bingo here. He looked after the field as well. And we also have Michael Long that puts in a lot of work there to cut the grass during the summer. When Michael was out there for a month or two, Jim Connell took over and did a very good job in it. And to conclude, it's back to John Corvan. Yes, yeah, we have to thank a number of people. We start off with our lotto group, a very dedicated group that meet every Tuesday night and do the draw for us and then split up the tickets and send them out to everyone. We go on then and we have the bingo, a great group there, dedicated again every Thursday night. And I suppose in 2019, when facilities were closed down due to COVID, they came up with a new idea and we had the drive-in bingos and, you know, they were a huge success and people that run the festival, we had fashion shows, we had concerts and all here in the hall and it takes a huge commitment. And then when you leave that side of it, we have to go to the playing fields and all the officers of the juvenile club and the way they give their time and the people that train the youngsters and they're there every night of the week with juveniles now. It's all that that keeps the whole thing going and it's all voluntary. Just to go back to 82, we were West champions in both hurling and football. To give the club the confidence to go on in 83, we actually went up in both hurling and football to senior. And footballers in 83, they were unlucky, they went out in the losers group. 84 and 85, a little unlucky to lose out to Galti Rovers in the semi-finals. But in 86 then, they turned the tide on Galti, beat him in the semi-final, and went on to beat Harvey Rovers, who were the reigning county champions at the time, in the West final. And from that team, there was nine players actually still involved from 82 to 86. And again then, in 86, we contested both finals in the division, the senior hurling and the senior football. And like, that was a great achievement as well. And a big thank you once again to John Corvan, Secretary for the past 35 years. To PJ Collins, Liam O'Sullivan and Jim O'Connell. That's all we have time for today, folks. Thanks again to Stevie and Francis and also Tipperary Midwest Radio for the use of the audio. Huge thank you to Jim O'Connell, Liam O'Sullivan, PJ Collins and John Corvin for their contributions and we wish Golden Kilfecal all the best in 2021. In the next episode, we look back on Cap White's underage success from 1995. Until next time, Tibber Arnaboo.